Today we are going to look at a very interesting subject. It may look something like it's something very basic, but it's not that basic in a sense. It, it's very, very important, and I believe it's going to help us to understand some few things about our, our Christianity or our Christian belief, just the basics of what we believe in as Christians. The most important thing is to equip all of you for purpose, to understand that you have a purpose in life. All of us, we are born for a purpose. And what we will focus on is what are the disciplines that we will need to be able to fulfill our purpose. And that's what we are going to focus on in the next few uh, days. Today, I'm going to look just at the introduction of our spiritual disciplines. I'm going, just going to look at the introduction. Then from there, we'll take it one by one uh, throughout the, the series. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, that will be our key verse throughout and it says discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness and we'll keep repeating this verse uh, throughout our our series the first um, scripture that we'll, we'll read it's Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 through 9 I want us to look at how do we get saved like I said it may sound very basic but it's going to be very helpful as we continue it says for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves it is the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do the Bible says when we speak about salvation, we are saved by God's grace. God's grace simply means God's extension. He gives us something that we do not deserve. In most cases, we define grace as unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. My, my definition uh, of grace is extension. Extension. In other words, you are able to do things that you are not able to do. Like when God gives you grace in a particular ministry, He gives you the ability to do something that you will not be able to do uh, within your ordinary capabilities. If you, are a, if you are a teacher, God will give you grace to be, able to, be, to be able to teach and explain concepts to people such that people find it easy to understand and to follow. That's God's grace to be able to do that. So you may have a grace to be, to be an evangelist. You may have grace to be, uh, to be a teacher. You may have grace to be a pastor. You know? So God's grace, he gives us abilities to do things that on our own we could not do it. I always give this example. Like when you, you are caught over speeding. And they give you a ticket. Then you go to the office and say, I'm asking for, uh, you know, I will not be able to pay your ticket or to pay the ticket the end of this month. Can you give me an extension, maybe 30 more days, so I can be able to pay the ticket when I receive my salary? That period between the time that you're supposed to pay and the time that the extra 30 days that they give you 
It's called the grace period. It's called the grace period. The extension, if you would. Now, when you talk about the extension, it's like when you are trying to reach some actually very good example. An extension cord. We all have extension cords. If you want to plug in your, your TV and you find that you don't have a, an outlet, electric outlet next to where the TV is, you are going to buy an extension cord. So you, your TV will be able to turn on just because there is an extension cord. That extension cord, that's what you call grace. That's what you call grace. Now, God gives us grace. It's like when you, uh, you know, God says, okay, for you to be saved, you have to, uh, to go back to the book of Exodus. I think it's chapter 20. Where you have to meet all those requirements. Then you'll be saved because you kept the law. But God realized that nobody is able to keep that law. Nobody is able to reach that. And God says, okay, here is the standard. It's up to this level. But nobody is able to reach that standard. Then he lowers the standard. He lowers the standard to the, to the point where we'll be able to reach it when we raise your hand and you're able to reach it now. Because initially, even if you try to raise your hand, you try to be nice, you try to be good, you try to do everything that you can, only to find that you don't reach that standard. And God says, let me lower the standard. Let me put an extension. Let me lower the standard to the level where everybody can reach it. To the level where everybody can be able to access it. And that lowering of the standard, it's called grace. It's called grace. So God gives us grace. But he says from your side, what I will need, it's faith. It's no longer your works, but it's faith. So when that one, God's grace come down and we as human beings, we raise our hands of faith towards God. So when grace meets faith, it's called salvation. When grace meets our faith, it's called salvation. So the Bible says, for it is by God's grace that you have been saved through faith. So faith meets grace then we are saved we are not saved by what we do we are not saved by our works we are not saved because we go to church we are not saved because we are born in a christian home we are not saved because we are nice people we are not saved because we are better than other people we are saved because we believe john 3 16 says for anyone who will believe anyone who will believe shall not perish so it's all by faith. John chapter 1 verse, uh, verse 12 talks about the same thing also. To anyone who believes, anyone who believes, he gives them an authority, the right to become the children of God. It's all about faith. It's all about believing. So when we believe in him, when we believe that Jesus died for us at the cross of Calvary, and we accept that, yes, we can receive the forgiveness of sins by believing in him through Christ and Christ alone, nothing else, then we're able to meet God's grace through our faith in him. Then we get saved. And it continues to say, it is the gift of God. Yes. Who gives us faith? God. The Bible says God has given each one of us a measure of faith. So all of us, we have faith. Who gives us grace? 
It's God. So when it comes to salvation, it is not by works. I have nothing to boast about because it's all about God. It's God who gave me faith. It's God who gave me grace. It's God who saved me. So I'm saved because I believe. That's all. Who gave me the belief? It's God. So no one can boast about salvation. You are not saved because you are better than other people. You are not saved because you are nicer than other people. Why God saved you? Why God chose you? I don't know. I have no, I have no answer to that. You are not saved because you are able to, uh, you know, to pay your tithe for 10 months. And God realized, oh, he never skipped paying his tithe. Let me save him. No, no, no. You are not saved by your good works. You are saved because we believe in Christ. The Bible says in verse 10, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. To do what? To do good works. Wow, wow, wow. Now, we are, verse 9 says, We are not saved by works. Verse 10 says, We are saved to do good works. There's a big difference there. When you are saved by your works, it means you worked so hard. You worked so hard. You sweat and sweat and sweat and sweat until God saves you. Or you are helping in church. You are running around in church, you know, helping with ushering, helping with being a treasurer or helping whichever way you can help in church until God saved you. It's unfortunate that you still have people who believe that they can get saved by their works, by doing good, by being nice. Being nice does not mean you are godly. You can be nice and still you are not saved because you are not saved by your works. The Bible says we are not saved by works or by good works, but we are saved for good works. In other words, after you are saved, then you are expected to do good works. You are expected to do good works after you are saved. That's what is expected of us after we are saved. So Romans chapter 8 verse 29 says, For those who for you? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. To the image of his son. In other words, God is saying, once you get saved, now you start a journey. Now you start a trip. Now you start a new life. Where is the journey taking us to? The Bible says the journey is taking us towards the image of Christ. In other words, once you are saved, God expects you to move towards the likeness of Christ. Look at 1 John chapter 3 verse 2. It says, when he appears, we shall be like him. God's desire is for all of us to be like Christ. But you cannot start that trip. You cannot start that journey until, you know, the starting point. It's salvation. Once you are saved, then you start to move towards Christ. I remember when we were still young, we used to sing a song uh, that said, I want to be more and more like Jesus. I want to be more and more like Him. It's because God wants us to be more and more like Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 3.18 says, All of us then reflect the glory of the Lord with uncovered faces. 
And that same glory coming from the Lord, who is the Spirit, transforms us into His likeness. His likeness in an ever greater degree of glory. So God wants all of us to be more and more like Christ. Every day, every day, God wants us to move towards the likeness of Christ. God wants us to be like His Son. God wants us to be like Christ. And that's God's desire for all of us as Christians. That's God's desire for all of us as, as, as we continue to, uh, to live. He wants us to be more and more like Christ. We aren't called to be like other Christians. This is very important. Because people will disappoint you. When somebody backslides, they will always give an example. You see so and so, he tried to be a Christian, he failed. So you are going to fail also. No, I'm not called to be like so and so. I'm not called to be like bishop so and so. I'm not called to be like pastor so and so. I'm, I'm not called to be leader so and so. But we are called to be like Christ. God wants me to be more and more like Christ. That is my role model. Christ is my role model, not another human being. In my Christian work, I'm not trying to, be, uh, to, to become somebody's imitation. It reminds me of one preacher. You know, he watched Ronald Bonke while he was preaching the other time as when he was an African. So always Ronald Bonke would always touch his forehead, touch his forehead as he was, as he was preaching. So this poor African preacher... He thought that's where the anointing is. When he started preaching also, he started imitating Bonke. And he started, uh, you know, touching his forehead also. Touching his forehead also. And later on to realize that the reason why Bonke was touching his forehead, it's because he had some long hair and it kept on uh, interrupting him. It kept on disturbing him. Uh, so he kept on moving it and shifting it backwards. But the poor African, he didn't understand. He thought that's where the anointing is. <laughs> so we don't have to be like so and so. We don't have to imitate people. We want to be more and more like Christ. That is God's desire for us. That is what God wants to see in us. He wants us to be more and more like Christ. In everything that we do, we have to be more and more like Christ. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 27 verse 17. How does God make us to be more and more like Christ? There are three ways that God can use. Number one, Proverbs 27 verse 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. God can use other people to sharpen us. God can use other people around us. God can use people in our, in our circles. God can use people to change us. To change us. People can speak to us. People can teach us. There's a lot that you can learn from people. God can use other people in our lives. All of us at some point you have been touched by somebody. Somebody's life. You are where you are because somebody helped you. Yes, God can use people even, within, even in, your, in your career, in your education, in any, any, any area of your life. People have been involved. That's where you are, for you to be able to reach where you, where you are today. So God can use other people. That's why we should not discount people. People are very important. And in everything that we do, God can always use people. Even the people that we think they are useless, God can still use them to help us grow in our Christian walk. They can help us to become more loving. 
They can help us to grow in our patience. They can help us to grow in our forgiveness. It's because we have people around us who will help us to grow. Number two, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We are all familiar with this scripture. For we know that God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. God can use things or situations around us. Situations that we go through in our lives, they help us to grow. Some situations or some, yes, some situations could be good situations and some are not good situations. Some are painful situations. When you go through pain, in most cases we focus on what has happened. And we cry because we are in pain, which is okay. And we go to God and we do not understand what has happened. Because always we focus on what has happened. God is not focusing on what has happened. He's focusing on why it happened. There is a purpose behind every pain that you go through in life. Always there is a purpose. Maybe we should go to God and say, God, as I go through this pain, allow me to learn. Allow me to know why. What is the purpose of my situation? What is the purpose of my, uh, of my pain? We have to be open-minded and allow God to show us what is the purpose of the situation that I'm going through right now. Some situations, may, they may look disconnected. They may look not related to your purpose. They may look not related to your vision. But trust me, trust me, all the situations, all these things that you go through, there is a purpose. There is a lesson to learn. Maybe we need to focus on what, what is the lesson that I need to learn out of this situation. Always there's a lesson that we can learn. But we only learn that lesson if we focus on trying to get to pull out the lesson out of this situation. Any situation that you're going through right now, ask yourself, what is it that God wants me to learn out of this situation? Maybe you, you will learn to be more patient and sympathetic with other people who later will go through the same situation. Maybe you, you will become a point of focus for other people who will learn from you later. You will teach other people how not to do some things because you went through it and you have learned a lesson. Other people will learn from it. So there is always a purpose for any situation that we go through. So we said God can use people. God can use situations. But number three, and that's what I'm going to focus on uh, in the next few uh, series. Lessons. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. It says, discipline yourself, train or practice. For the purpose of godliness. The purpose of godliness. For you to become more and more like Christ. God can use people. God can use situations. But God can use yourself. The first two, we have no control over them. You have no control on how people behave. Whether people treat you in love. Or they treat you in hatred. Or they treat you out of jealousy. There's no, you cannot control how people behave. You cannot control what people do. Number two, you cannot, there are some situations you can't control them. They're just beyond your control. Things just happen. Life happens. Pain, it's always there in life. And you'll always go through that. Nobody is immune to that. Nobody is immune to that. Up to so far, nobody can say they have a pill. To avoid pain or to avoid avoid painful situations 
We don't have a vaccine for that yet. All of us will go through difficult times, challenging times. Let me say this about life. All of us, it's either you just came out of a painful situation. Or as I'm talking, it's like a tunnel. You are just going through a painful situation right now. Painful challenges right now. If you didn't come out of a painful situation, if you're not going through one right now, let me assure you, my brother, let me assure you, my sister, you are heading towards one. At some point, you will have some painful situation. That's part of life. That's how life is. You cannot avoid it. It's either you just came out of one, or you are going through one, or you are heading towards one. That's life. And you have no control over that. But the third one, where Paul says to Timothy, discipline yourself. This one, it depends on you. You have full control when it comes to this one. It's up to you. You have control on how you want to grow in your spiritual life, your spiritual de development. Here, it depends on your personal discipline. You have to discipline yourself. You have to train yourself. You have to practice it. It is said that for you, to, for a person to become an expert or a professional in any sport, whether it's golf, whether it's soccer, or any sport that you can think of, or even in running, a marathon, they say you have to practice for at least for 10,000 hours. Whether it's playing keyboard, for you to become an expert, a professional, you have to do it at least 10,000 uh, times, or you have to spend about 10,000 hours. So, in any area of our lives as Christians, if you want to become much better in that particular area, we have to be disciplined. We have to do it again and again. and We have to practice it, to train ourselves again and again and again. But the purpose of it is godliness. We discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. 1 Corinthians 9, 27 says, But I discipline my body. There is the word again, discipline. Paul says, I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. So what Paul is saying is, it's my responsibility to discipline myself. To discipline myself. Discipline is simply means training or practice, reputation. It's something that you keep on doing and doing and doing again and again and again and again. And it's expected to produce a specific character or a pattern of behavior. It is said if you want to change your habit, you just replace the old habit with a new habit. That's all that you do. Then all your old, old habits will go. You don't, you don't change your habit by willpower. Yeah, I want to become a new person. I want, no, no, you don't just say that. You have to do something. You have to replace that old habit with a new habit. You can't just leave it open-ended. So, when we start to practice it, it becomes our habit. It becomes a pattern of behavior. It becomes how we live. It becomes part of us. It becomes part of our life. We have to practice these disciplines so that we can become more and more like Christ. The purpose of spiritual disciplines is to promote our spiritual growth. All the people who you know who are mature, who are in the ministry, or wherever they are, all those people that you know, they practice these disciplines. There is no shortcut. Remember, you are not practicing these disciplines so that you can be saved. 
You are practicing these disciplines because you are saved and you want to move towards Christ-likeliness. You want to become more and more like Christ. And these are the steps that you need to take to become more and more like Christ. You have to practice this spiritual discipline. Any preacher that you know, any great speaker that you know, international or local or a pastor, all of them to be where they are, it's because they discover that you have to practice these spiritual disciplines. You cannot grow in your Christian work if you do not practice these spiritual disciplines. This practice or the habits, when you practice them, the main purpose is spiritual growth and godliness. You become more and more like Christ. But we have to get into these habits. We have to do it. They help us grow in our relationship with God. And this is very important. They do not make us more saved than others. Just because you practice spiritual disciplines, it does not make you a better Christian than others. There are no different degrees of salvation. All of us we are equally saved. All of us we are equally saved. Nobody is more saved than another person. Your bishop is not more saved than you. Your preacher or your speaker or your, uh, your pastor is not more saved than you. Your leader is not more saved than All of us we are equally saved. By the way, all of us, God loves us equally. There is nobody who has a special place before God that you can say, God loves him more than he loves me. No. God loves all of us equally. All of us. All of us. There are no special kids or special children. There are no favorites with God. When you are saved, you are saved. When you are not saved, you are not saved. That's it. There is no middle ground. There is no middle ground. There is no fence where you can say, oh, I'm just standing in the fence. No. It's either you are saved or you are not saved. That's it. So, when you practice spiritual discipline, it does not make you more saved or a better Christian than other Christians. No. There are no different degrees of salvation, but at different levels of spiritual maturity. It helps you to grow, to mature in your Christian walk. It just helps you to grow in your Christian life. It does not make you become more of a Christian than other people or better than other Christians. Let's look at what spiritual disciplines are not. Number one, the spiritual disciplines are not about trying to be good enough to earn favor with God. You're already saved. You're already saved. You're not saved because you practice spiritual disciplines. No. You're not trying to win favor with God. No. Spiritual disciplines is for our own growth. It's our own maturity. It's just to grow our relationship with God. Because God wants to see us grow in our Christian walk. Spiritual disciplines, it does not mean punishment. It simply means you sacrifice some pleasures for the purpose of godliness. Maybe instead of watching TV for that one hour, you spend that one hour on your spiritual disciplines. On your spiritual discipline. Instead of going to play or to do whatever you would uh, want to do, you sacrifice that time. Instead of being on Facebook, you sacrifice that one hour of Facebook and focus on your spiritual discipline. It's because you want to grow. You are not punishing yourself. They don't make God love us more than other people. Just because you practice spiritual discipline, it does not mean that God will love you more than other people. You're already saved. You're already saved. And these are not legal rules. They are not legal rules in the sense that nobody 
is going to be arrested just because they did not practice those spiritual disciplines. You do it out of love. You do it because you love God. You do it because you want to grow in your Christian walk. That's why you practice these spiritual disciplines. Let's quickly go through some of the spiritual disciplines. And when we get a chance, I think in the next few days, we'll go through each one of them. And we'll start to understand each one of them. I will spend almost the whole hour on each one of them on how to practice it. Number one, God's Word. That's the first spiritual discipline. We need to discipline ourselves in studying the Word of God. We have to read the Word of God. It's, it's our manual. Without the Word of God, you cannot function as a Christian. We need to read the Word of God every day. We need to read the Bible every day. That is the first spiritual... We have to discipline... The Bible says, discipline yourself. We have to discipline ourselves. Because if you do not discipline yourself, it will not just happen automatically. The Word of God will not get into our system through osmosis. It does not work like that. You have to be intentional and say, I want to read the Word of God. I want to study the Word of God. And we'll spend some time later at some point and I'll show you how to read the Word of God in such a way that we understand it. But that's the first spiritual discipline that, we, uh, that we'll talk about, that we'll discuss uh, as we continue. The next spiritual discipline is prayer. We have to discipline ourselves to pray. Prayer is simply communication with God. Prayer means you talk to God and God speaks back to you also. Prayer does not mean going to God with a long list of things that you want God to do for us. God is not, uh, he's not Santa Claus. He's not Father Christmas. You don't go to God with a long list of, of what you want from him. Lord, I want the Mercedes Benz. I want a big house. I want a wife. I want a husband. Uh, no, 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 no. I want a good car. I want, I want money. I want... That's not how God works. That's not how God... Just imagine if you are the father and your daughter or your son only talks to you when they want something. If they don't want anything, they can spend the whole month without talking to you. The day you see the phone call coming, you know she needs something. You know she wants money. I don't think that's, that's a good relationship. God wants to build a relationship with us to an extent that, like a good father, he wants to speak with us every day. If he can focus on prayer in that way, that prayer simply means communicating with God. Prayer simply means communicating with my father. Prayer simply means building my relationship with my father. That is all that prayer is all about. Prayer does not mean going to God with a long list of things that you are asking God to do for you. And we'll spend some time later also talking about the discipline of prayer. The next one is the discipline of worship. It's very, very important to worship. God, Bible says, God is looking for people who worship Him in spirit and in truth. As human beings, we are born to worship. All of us. All of us. And we'll get some time and we'll talk about that. All of us, human beings, are worshiping creatures. All of us. Even if you do not want to worship God, you will worship something else. Some will worship money. Some will worship their houses. Some will worship their TV. Some will worship other people. Some will worship celebrities. Some will worship their husbands. Some will worship their wives. Some will worship... People will worship something. You will always find something that you worship. Something that is more valuable and important to you. 
and you hold on to it. Some will worship their soccer clubs, their soccer teams. People worship, I mean, worship things. Worship things. So, God created human beings with, with a need to worship. All of us, we have a need to worship. Even if you do not worship God, you are worshipping something. You may not want to acknowledge it. But you are worshipping. Even an atheist, somebody says, I do not believe in God. Okay, you don't believe in God, but there is something that you still worship. So, we are born to worship. And worship should become our daily bread. It should be something that we do every day. We don't have to wait for the Sunday service to worship. We don't have to wait for somebody to start our favorite song in church for us to worship. We can worship God on our own every day. Because we know that we worship means we, God is worthy. And we just tell God that God, you are good. God, you are worthy. God, you are my Savior. Just tell him who he is to you. That is worship. That is worship. So all of us, we are born to worship. And we'll spend almost an hour talking about the discipline of worship. The other discipline is the discipline of evangelism. Evangelism simply means sharing our faith with other people. Sharing our faith with other people. When you share your faith with somebody, not everybody will accept it. Not everybody will accept it. Paul actually speaks of a, of a process. He says, some will plant the seed. Some will water the seed. But God is the one who will bring the increase, who will make the seed to grow. Sometimes as you are sharing your gospel, you are sharing the Bible, you are sharing the verse, you are sharing salvation with somebody. You share the gospel with somebody. Maybe you are just planting a seed. You are just planting the seed. Another person may come in maybe two, three weeks later and share the gospel with the same person. Maybe you are just watering the seed that's already there. Then they start to be enlightened. Later comes another one, the last person. He comes and he shares the gospel with that person. Then the person accepts Christ. So it did not start at that point. It started a long time ago. In actual fact, some statistics indicate that at some point, or most people, they don't get saved when they hear the gospel for the first time. Even for the second time. Even for the third time. Even for the fourth time. Some they even have to hear it for the seventh time. Then it starts to, uh, the, the light starts to shine in their hearts. Some they have to listen to the gospel more than seven times before they could accept Christ. So maybe when you share the gospel with somebody, maybe you are the fifth person. Or maybe you are the sixth person. So, sometimes you share with somebody, they may not accept it. They may not accept the gospel. That should not discourage you. Don't get discouraged just because nobody was saved when you share the gospel with them. Maybe you're the first person to share the gospel with that person. You have planted the seed. You have planted the seed. And later that seed will grow. Later that seed will grow. It reminds me of one young man. That time I was sharing with him the gospel. And as I was sharing with him, he looked at me and later he accepted Christ. And I said, well, why, did you, why, did you, why, why do you look so surprised? He says, you know what? All these things that you are telling me, my sister has been telling me for years. I just kept ignoring her. And what you are saying is just a confirmation of what my sister has been telling me 
So that's how it happens sometimes. You, you may share the gospel with somebody. They may look like they are not interested. They may look like they are not listening. But I'm telling you, you are planting a seed. You are planting a seed. Don't give up. Don't lose hope. You are planting a seed. You are planting a seed. So we should get into the spiritual discipline of sharing the gospel. Sharing our faith with the people that we work with. And some people that we, that we know, they are struggling. Some people that we work with, they are struggling. They keep sharing their problem with, with, with us. They keep sharing their challenges with us. Maybe instead of just sharing psychology with them and trying to sound uh, psychology, or trying to sound like a nice counselor, just share the gospel with them. Who knows if their lives could change, their situation could change too. Let's share the gospel without fear. The next discipline is the discipline of saving. Saving God. God wants us to save his people. Not for, for his people to save us. God expects us to save him through his people. God is looking for servants, not celebrities. He's not looking for people who, who, who will go around and become celebrities. Everybody admire. No, no. He's looking for servants. Actually, Jesus once said, harvest is ready. Harvest is ready. Pray. Pray that the owner of the harvest, pray that the owner of the field should send more servants. Actually, servants, it sounds much better. He says laborers, people who will labor, people who will serve, people who will work. That's what God is looking for in us. He's looking for people who will serve. He's not looking for celebrity pastors. High rollers. That's not what he's looking for. He's looking for people who have a servant heart. A heart that says, I'm going to serve my generation. I want to serve my people. I want to serve my church. I want to serve my community. That's the kind of people that he's looking for. And that takes a discipline of some kind. We must have a servant leadership, a servant heart. When you are a leader, you must be a leader who serves your people. Who saved your organization? Who saved your church? You are there to save. We are there to save. You are there to save, not to be saved. It reminds me of when Jesus, you know, gave the 5,000 food. He gave them, I mean, he gave 5,000 people food. He saved the 5,000. But today is the other way around. It's the 5,000 who are all saving one person. All of them, they serve one, uh, one person. That is not how it's supposed to be. Actually, Jesus at some point he told his disciples, when they, said, they asked him, who, who is great? Who will be great in the kingdom? And Jesus said to them, the one who serves you, that's the one who will be great in the kingdom. To us, you know, in this world, when they say you are great, it's when you, uh, you, you are somebody that everybody admires. You know, you, you, are, you have the fame, Everybody knows you, you are popular. Then they say, oh, he's great, he's great. Before God, popularism has nothing to do with, uh, with being great. He says, the one who is great is the one who is saving you. Do you have a servant heart? Are you there to serve? You must have a spiritual discipline of saving. Before we close, we have the other spiritual discipline of fasting. Spiritual discipline of fasting. When we fast, in other words, to stop doing something because of the purpose of godliness. You may stop doing some, some things that you do every day. It could be eating, 
you can say, okay, today I'm not going to eat. The time that I'm supposed to be eating, I'll use that time to, to read the word of God, to pray. That's the purpose of fasting. Fasting does not twist God's arm. God will not change his mind and do something that he did not want to do just because you fasted. You are not, you're not pushing God to do what you want. You cannot force God to do what you want or what you feel like. Fasting, it fine-tunes our hearts. That we are in the same tune with God. We can be able to hear God. Fasting, it's like when you... Uh, you remember when you used to have the, the, old, uh, the old radios, the omegas, those old radios and the tempest. When you will tune your, uh, you tune your radio until you get to the right frequency. To the right frequency. That's what fasting does to us. It tunes our heart until we get into the frequency of God. Then we are in a position where we can hear God. We are in the right alignment with God. We can hear God when he speaks to us. That's what fasting does. Fasting does not change God. Fasting changes us. To become more and more closer to God. So that should be the attitude that we should have when, it's when we fast. So that's another discipline that we need to, to practice. We'll talk about it uh, also. The other one is the, the discipline of meditation. Discipline of meditation. The Bible says we have to meditate on the word of God. Meditate it day and night. Think about it. Just to spend some time, just be silent before God. Bible says, be still and know that I am God. Some of us, we are too noisy. We have no time to hear God speak to our life. We have to give God a chance to speak into our lives. At some point, you just need to go before God and be silent, be quiet before God. Allow God to speak to you. And God wants to speak to all of us, all of us. Like I said, there, are no, there is nobody who is more special to God than another person. Even you when, you, when you spend some time with God and just be quiet before Him, God can speak to you. God can speak to you. And when you do meditation, that's when you will realize, that's how you learn. How does God speak to me? Sometimes you'll hear somebody say, you know, this morning I was in the presence of God and God spoke to me. He's not lying. Yes, God has spoken to him. It's because God speaks. But what God wants from us is for us to give him an opportunity to speak to us. All of us. Sometimes we make wrong decisions because we do not give God a chance to speak into our lives. To help us make the right decisions. And you realize later that, oh, oh, I made a blunder. Because he did not give God the Holy Spirit to speak into your life. So when you speak of meditation, that's where we learn on how does God speak into our lives. The last one is journaling. Getting into habit or a discipline of writing down. Writing down everything that God speaks to you. Is to read the word of God just to journal it down. Write it down. Look at how God has answered your, your prayers. Write it down. You know, journal. And that will help to form your testimony. It helps you to form the testimony. and say, This is what God has said. This is what God has done in my life. All these spiritual disciplines. God expects us to practice them in our lives. Let's quickly go through uh, what we're going to do this week. 
Because when God speaks to us, He expects us to, to do something. To practice all those spiritual disciplines. Amen? God bless you.